Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, coming to you after the New England Revolution's 2-2 home draw with FC Cincinnati. The Revs took the lead on the half-hour mark with a fantastic Dylan Barrero strike, but gave it back just 11 minutes later on a Henry Kessler own goal off a Cincinnati corner kick. Super sub Ima Boateng set up Gustavo Bo in the 55th minute for the Revs to retake the lead, but yet again the Revs gave it back after a Verre- uh, Damian Rivera turnover led to a quick counterattack, and Brenner scored the game's final goal in the 73rd minute. I'm Sean Donahue, and joining me today is one of the hardest-working people on the Revs beat, Sam Mitten from the Bent Musket. Sam, how's it going? Sean, you are too kind. I really do appreciate it, but going good uh, outside Gillette Stadium after, I think, a disappointing draw. Uh, but, you know, there definitely are some positives to take away with it, and the Revs are still on an unbeating streak. So glad to be on and glad to be talking some Revs. It's it's weird to think that the Revs haven't lost a game since what April twenty third are on a ten game unbeaten streak and are still only one game over five hundred. Um, it's it's like you know, and on paper a ten game unbeaten streak sounds really good, but there's been more draws than wins in that streak. Yeah, and I want to give credit to uh, my colleague Seth McCumber. He's been uh, keeping track of all the matches in it. If you look at even before the unbeaten streak, the Revs have dropped when they've had the lead at some point in the match. 21 points so uh there's definitely some points they left on the board but i mean having an unbeaten streak sounds pretty cool so they'll be happy about that <laughs> yeah and and you know this one like you said i think it seem, feels like two points lost but at the same time you know petrovic made some huge saves where it could have been you know three points lost um had things gone a little bit differently uh, but but with that let's get right into our key takeaways which are brought to you by our friends at the rebellion checking them out on twitter at any rebellion and on their website at any uh, Sam, what's your key takeaway from this one? Yeah, so, you know, you mentioned uh, Petrovic. I think we need to remember that Petrovic, I think he's a very good goalkeeper, but he also still is 22 years old. And obviously, we've seen all the good. He's able to make those point-blank saves. He's a great shot-stopping goalkeeper, but he is still 22 years old. He needs to develop, and I think a prime example of that was the second goal that was allowed. Obviously, I think Damien Rivera needs to do a better job of, you know, receiving the ball, it was a poor touch on his part, but ideally, I think Petrovic probably shouldn't have been passing it in the middle to a player like Rivera, and it just wasn't, I would say, the best decision. And I think that's partly due to he is new to the team, but also that he is still a young goalkeeper. He has a shot shopping ability, but like plenty of goalkeepers in New England, needs to uh, work on his distribution. I think he's you know quite well at it, but obviously, as a young goalkeeper, he can improve. But the fact that he is so young is also a benefit because he's already started his career off so well with the Revolution. Matt Turner said he was much better than he was at that age. So I think Revolution fans should be excited about Jorge Petrovic. I can tell you Bruce Arena definitely is. He's made some great saves. He's made some great plays. But still remember, he's 22 years old. It's his first season in a new country. So he's still going to take some time to develop and really be, flourish and become into that keeper that he feels he can become. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And I do think it's important to, you know, the point that Matt Turner said that uh, Petrovic is ahead of where he was at 22. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, there's been plenty talked about Matt Turner being a late bloomer and, you know, how he kind of got a late start in his career. But, you know, he, he was just graduating college um, and just starting his career with the revolution at Petrovic's age. And Petrovic has played several seasons in Serbia's top league already. Um, but like you said, there's room for improvement. Distribution, 
uh, you know, both ways. He had a fantastic, well, I think, you know, Brad and, and Charlie were talking throughout the game about how long his goal kicks could be. And, you know, one of them led to the Revs' first goal with the kind of the mistake. Um, I think it was Hagland who had the mistake that led to the, you know, the turnover that Sebastian Legette fed Barrero for the first goal. It was a really, really long uh, goal kick into, into the other side of the field. Um, he had a few of those in this game, but, you know, at the same time, there was that distribution to Rivera that wasn't so great. Maybe he should have booted it long like he did earlier, um, and that would have worked out a lot better. But uh, the shot-stopping ability from Petrovic is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and the fact that he's this good at age 22, um, you know, with still a lot of years to improve is extremely impressive. And, you know, I think in part due to the fact that this guy turned professional in you know 2018 when he was 19, uh, and Matt Turner was still, you know, fighting for places, fighting for a, a spot. You know, I think it had Fairfield's starting lineup at that point in his career. So it's a it's a huge difference in kind of the the pedigree coming into the Revs. Um, you know, Petrovic is not as good as Turner yet, but I think he's got quite the head start. Yeah, and I think also too, you could probably extend that to a player like Dylan Barrero. I would say. He might be a little bit uh, ahead of schedule in terms of, you know, he moved to Brazil from Colombia at a young age. He got to go to a big club in Brazil like Atletico Mineiro, and he got some playing time recently, and now he's coming to New England. He might have a head start because there's already some Brazilians here, whether it be the first or second team. And just overall, he's had that professional experience in a, in a new country, and he's playing great as well, too. So it's been great to see Barrero do well but also too he's a young player he might have been accelerated in terms of getting comfortable with the team building that chemistry but there's probably going to be some bumps bumps along the way too uh so hopefully i know it can be difficult for revolution fans but hopefully they can realize that these players you know aren't just going to turn it on all of a sudden that they're still quite young and that they're going to need to get adjusted to the team get adjusted to the country get adjusted to the style of playing mls and that once they do do that you know, they'll be some of the best players in possibly the entire league. Yeah, agreed. And I think both of these guys have adjusted so far ahead of schedule because, I, you know, I expected both of them to come in and take a little bit more time um, to get the minutes they're getting and to have the impact they're having. So, you know, I, I think the, re- the return on both of them has been huge so far and it's only going to go up. Um, on, on the flip side, my takeaway from this one is slightly more negative. Um, and that's that ball watching on crossing continues to be a big problem for the Revs, both in the run of play and on set pieces. Um, and, you know, a couple of highlights in this one being the, the Kessler own goal in which, you know, Vasquez was kind of alone at the penalty spot. Nobody really tracked him. Um, Kessler stepped up to a little too late, didn't win the ball or did win the ball and headed it in, but Vasquez beat him to it. Um, and, you know, that was one, one play there. And then there was the double save from Petrovic in the 69th minute, which was, you know, save of the year type quality. Um, but the only reason he had to make that second save was because none of the defenders tracked the ball. You know, there, that deflection off of Brandon by happened. Um, and everyone was just flat footed. The Revs defense was, was closer to the ball initially than, uh, the attacker there, but nobody moved. Um, and that just seems to be the type of thing you're seeing this this year. And again, that came from a cross as well, uh, deflected cross by Brandon By, and the defense just wasn't ready. Um, I feel like we've seen that a ton all season long, and the fact that we're still seeing it is is kind of troubling. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I'm sure Bruce is focusing on it in practice, but it hasn't really stuck yet. Just a lot of ball watching on crosses that um, you know is problematic, and uh, again, at this point of the season, should have been fixed. Yeah, and, you know, there's definitely been some games in the past. I know Brandon Bai has been a victim of this. But especially that first goal, I mean, it was kind of poor luck with it glancing off Kessler's head. But I think, like you mentioned, he has to do a better job of closing in on a player like Brandon Vasquez, you know, one of the best young strikers, I would 
American strikers, I would say. And until Jesus Herrera really turned it on, had a possible chance to compete for a spot in the U.S. men's national team for that, you know, number nine spot and definitely will in the future. Uh, but with that first goal, that was your first choice uh, back line. That was Henry Kessler, Andrew Farrell, Brandon By, and DeJuan Jones. So there really isn't that excuse that, oh, we've been dealing with these injuries. You know, understand that Kessler came on the 45th minute. Arena confirmed after the match that was scheduled. So it'll be interesting to see how he's built up moving forward. Uh, Kessler also uh, confirmed to uh, Seth McCumber. Seth asked him. Uh, that if there's a hamstring issue, he said, yes, that's what he's been dealing with. So we kind of have a little bit more on what uh, Kessler has been dealing with. But that first goal, you can't blame it on, you know, let's say a John Bell and Omar Gonzalez being in the lineup. That's your first choice back line that should be performing well and performing up to par. I thought Kessler did quite well in his first game back. Uh, prior to that, he showed his ability to make your recoveries and just, you know, be a quality defender. Uh, but obviously he needs to do a better job on that set pieces. I think set pieces have been a problem for the revolution. Uh, definitely. I remember in 2020, it seemed like a big problem for them. So it's not something new and you hope that they'll be able to fix it. Uh, but it's ball watching this season has definitely been a big problem for them. I thought it would go away with once everyone was healthy, but that just doesn't seem to be the case, which could be a problem. I mean, like I said, Petrich is a young goalkeeper. He might be able to make some great saves like he did tonight, but I don't know if he's going to be someone who can, especially this season, bail you out each and every game. You know, he's had some times where, especially like in Vancouver, the fact that they were even able to get a point was mostly because of uh, Petrich's great saves. But to expect a 22-year-old to do that every single game is expecting a lot. So hopefully the back line can step it up and that ball watching just needs to stop. Yeah, and you know Kessler deserves most of the blame on that goal. But I think it's kind of a team thing too is that you know Vasquez, six foot two striker, a very dangerous guy in set pieces. It just didn't seem like anyone was actually focused on him. It was a lot of just marking space. And we've seen that a lot this season where guys are just marking space. And maybe that's what Bruce Reno wants. Um, but you think that somebody would keep an eye on you know, one of the most dangerous guys on, on that set piece. Uh, you know, Kessler was the guy in the spot to kind of win that header, and he didn't didn't do it or you know, didn't hit it in his own net. But um, it's just nobody picked up Vasquez until right at the very end there. And that, that to me, too, is a little bit surprising. And I don't know if that's, you know, the way Arena wants them marking on set pieces because we've seen it a lot this year where, you know, really, really strong targets um, for teams you know, aren't necessarily being marked and it's more about kind of zonal marking. Um, and then guys like Vasquez just run right through and, you know, yes, somebody picks them up at the end, but at that point you're, you're kind of putting yourself in a much more difficult spot than, you know, kind of having somebody in his way to, to try to slow him down. Yeah, it is quite interesting because I, I think I remember, uh, I forget the player, but I think it was on like the Iron Slices podcast. And like Bruce Arena joked because he said in a corner that he was covering space and he, he went back to the player and he's like, oh yeah, w- w- what space is uh, ranking on the Golden Boot Race? And so uh, it, w- it will be, that I thought that was quite interesting, but no matter what it is, the, the Reds just need to do a better job on set pieces because clearly it isn't working. It's kind of, I would say, been a, I don't know if you want to say a problem, but it's a reoccurring issue uh, when it comes to Bruce Reed's teams. You have quality defenders like Farrell, like Kessler. They're not small guys. You know, Farrell might be a little bit small, but he's definitely a physical guy who's going to let you know he's there. Uh, so hopefully the revolution will be able to fix it, because if not, there's definitely team, plenty of teams who can take advantage of that and, you know, have great corner takers and some high flyers who are able to leap up and 
get the ball. So it's definitely, I don't know if you want to say an urgent issue, but it's definitely something that needs to be fixed. We do have a, a ton of questions tonight, but before we get into those, I do want to touch on a couple things. You mentioned, you know, Kessler was subbed out at halftime and that was a planned sub. Um, Barrera also subbed out at halftime. He was injured. Did you get a look at or hear anything about what his injury was? I know there was a, a play where Petrovic came out and um, a, a lot of guys collided. Farrell got hurt in the play too, although he, he was fine to continue. But did you get a sense of what Barrera's injury was or anything from Bruce Arena? Yeah, so Bruce, uh, after the match, uh, said that obviously you kind of have to wait like, till later this week to see what he's feeling like. Uh, he was in the locker room. He seemed to be walking around fine, uh, but again, that's after a match in a locker room, not you know playing a hard however many minutes uh, against an MLS side. It was interesting to see because on the replay, on that one play, he got hit like three different times. One by Georgia Petrovic, who's a large dude. Andrew Farrell also was there, and then obviously the Cincinnati player. It was interesting uh, that it seemed like it would have been a head injury, but he came up limping and had to be helped off the field. I think that for me, that was the moment where I kind of got concerned was when he couldn't walk off the field by himself. He had to be, you know, helped off and was limping off the field, but he seemed to be walking under his own power uh, in the locker room. But I think it'll kind of be wait and see. But if you do lose him, I, I think it's going to be a big blow because he's just such a dynamic player on that wing. Like, there's been plenty of comparisons made to someone like Tejan Buchanan. He has the pace, and he's able to put the ball in the back of the net. But also, too, uh, I was talking with, with uh, Seth McCumber, and he mentioned that he's now being able to draw fouls. Uh, he played 45 minutes. He was able to draw four fouls. So he's really coming into his own. He's continuing to grow as a player. And if he gets hurt, that might stifle that growth for a little bit and also really hurt the revolution attack. Yeah, I agree. I think the Revs attack is you know, somewhat slow without Barrera out there, and that Barrera is kind of the unpredictable piece that can run at guys and create chances. Um, you know, Gustavo Bo scored the goal tonight, but I kept having the thought of, you know, Gustavo Bo's never been particularly fast, but it, it, to me, it just seems like he's you know lost another step this season in his speed. Um, again, don't not trying to, to bash on the guy after he scored a, a good goal tonight, but there were just you know times when the ball was over the top that. In the past, you would have thought he might have had a chance to get to or you know, could have beat the defender and you know, had breakaway chances. But um, there's just a few times tonight where his speed just really seemed to be pretty slow. Um, so Bar- having Barrera out there and having you know, some pace out there, and you know, I think Legette has some pace too um, comparatively. But I-, I do think the refs attack loses a lot if Barrera was missing, and he's added a bunch to this team um, you know, that's been missing ever since Tejan Buchanan left. Yeah, and also just to your point about Bo, it seems like he wanted a ton of balls uh, you know, over the top and kind of just getting to them. And I mean, like you said, he was able to get that great goal. But overall, I wouldn't exactly call him, a, you know, a speedy player. You know, he doesn't have even breakaway speed, I would say. You saw him multiple times, uh, whether it be, you know, this game or even this season where, you know, opponents have been able to catch up to him. Uh, so I definitely don't think that's the best way to use him, try and utilize his speed. Obviously, he is getting a bit older, and he is able to make some great plays, you know, and is able to score some amazing goals with his power. But speed isn't exactly his forte, and you saw that again tonight where people were able to kind kind of stifle the revolution attack because it was just Gustavo Bo trying to use his speed to continue going or, you know, to go get a ball, and opponents were able to catch up to him. So it's 
it'll be interesting to see how the revolution uh used him especially if he is the lone striker up top how they use him how they get the ball to him and how they kind of start the attack and because if you're relying on Gustavo Bo's speed I don't know exactly how successful that will be for you yeah, you're right. And the one thing that it kind of reminded me of is that when he first came to the revolution, he got caught offside a lot of times. Um, I remember he was, you know, I think he was like near the top of the league and, and times caught offside. And then I think when um, he kind of formed that partnership with Adam Buxa, his, his game changed a bit where he was more of the secondary striker playing off of Buxa um, and, you know, wasn't wasn't the guy kind of pressing the line at all times and, and trying to get beat that offside trap. But you know, when you have the pace that he has at this point of his career, you know, playing that way doesn't really make a lot of sense and and like you said he did there were a lot of times where he was trying to call for that ball over the top and um you know he just doesn't you know even if he gets it and you know manages to get behind the defense the defenders have been able to catch up with him lately um so i think that is something to watch going forward is, is how that changes and you know if the revolution do bring in another striker which it sounds like they're about to and we'll we'll get to that later in the podcast um you know maybe it'll be more like books again but for now as the the lone kind of number nine I don't love the way that they're trying to play him. Um, so I, I agree with you. There were there were a lot of times where he was trying to get that ball over the top, that ball behind the defense, and it just doesn't really work. Uh, you know, he never had that kind of speed, but especially now it doesn't doesn't really work anymore. Um, but with that said, we got a lot of questions. I'll jump into those. Before we do, I want to quickly take a minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Galaco Kits. Galaco Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders and neither does the selection. And if you head to GalacoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order at GalacoKits.com. And right now, if you support the local lower league teams, they've got a Boston City 2019 home jersey for just $25. Um, and that's before the 15% discount. So if you're interested in that, go on there, use code RESRECAP, and get a great deal on a Boston City 2019 home kit. Um, with that, Sam, you ready for questions? Let's do it. Oh, well, I'm going to knock some of these ones out of the way right away because for a lot of people that aren't happy with outdoor, and I feel like that's a recurring theme. Um, so <laughs> there, let me read these three at once. Uh, first one, Oscar Liberos on Twitter asks, Houche or outdoor? Uh, and then Randy LH says, can we all agree that the Josie just needs to reach full fitness line is BS. All he does is stand in the box with his back to goal. He doesn't hold up, doesn't head the ball, doesn't strike. He flops if you breathe on him and he's brought nothing to the team so far. Um, and Ryan Duplicia also on, on the flopping says still seeing Altador searching for pens. Not a good look. Uh, Sam thoughts on Altador and, uh, Altador or Houche. <laughs> I don't know that that's close on both. I, I think it is interesting because. There's been plenty of times when Outdoor has gone down the box. And I mean, they might look bad, but also, too, I think it's going to be really tough for him to get these calls just because of how you know massive of a duty is. You know, it's the same. I like to point out to a guy like uh, Cam Newton in the NFL. There was plenty of times where he got absolutely demolished on plays, but there were you no know, flags called. You can even point to a guy like Paul Pogba. He can get roughed up sometimes, but he doesn't get the same calls because he's a rather large you know figure. Uh, so it's definitely interesting to see how much he goes down in the box. I mean, there's been some times when Josie has had some good hold-up play. Uh, but overall, the signing has been a failure. It, Bruce, I, I might have thought that he could bring Josie back to the form that he's been searching for. But it seems like the Josie experiment is over, especially if they do uh, bring in this uh, Italian striker who sure so seems like it. I mean, my man Fabrizio Romano... Uh, was is reporting it i'm not gonna doubt fab 
especially since he responded to my tweet talking about it because I'm now forever indebted to him. Uh, but overall, just the Josie Altidore experiment has seemed to fail. If I have to reach my conclusion, I would call it a failure so far. But I think Revolution fans and I think myself, we would all love to be proved wrong. But it just the more time passes, the more it just seems like we're expecting we're expecting a fantasy to happen. It just seems like Josie, you know, he struggled. He had to find his full fitness. And I understand why Revolution fans kind of get annoyed. Just keep hearing, oh, he has to reach fitness. Oh, it just has to be another month. Uh, but if you bring in a player such as the striker that New England's rumored to bring in, that's basically saying, hey, we thought Josie could replace Adam Busa. That's not going to happen. Maybe Josie is able to flourish in a bench roll, a little bit less pressure, and that would be great. Uh, but being a replacement for Adam Busa, that, that experiment – whatever you want to call it, that seems to be dead. Uh, I agree with all that. And the fitness thing is is a weird one because he came into the team um, and everyone said he was healthy, but he was going to need, I think, at least a month or six weeks or something. I forgot what Bruce exactly said to get fit. And I said, that's, that, you know, that's kind of weird. He's going to need more than what guys get in preseason to get fit. Why, why is that? And then we kept, he kept picking up minor injuries and there's another month to get fitness, another month to get fitness. It, it, at this point, it does kind of seem ridiculous. Um, and yeah, I, you know, he has not lived up to the billing or up to the, what you'd hope you'd get from him so far. Um, and the unfortunate thing is on three years guaranteed. So it's not easy to just cut bait after the season. He's got another two guaranteed years. Um, and yes, you, you know, if, if you've, convinced that he's done at the end of the season you could use a buyout um to get out from it but you're you know you're probably paying something like three million dollars to buy him out um and having to you know, having to sell that to craft to do that um and then you're also not able to use that on a guy like omar gonzalez you also might want to buy out after the season um which takes me back to the hache versus alcador question you know alcador even at this stage is a more useful player than hache um but with that said yeah, I'm not one to defend Mike Burns, but Mike Burns never would have given 32-year-old Josie Altidore three guaranteed years. Um, when you talk about a guy like Hauche, Hauche was brought in late in the season, and they were able to cut bait with him after the season when he was a failure. It was a, a few months of a failure that they were able to move on from where Altidore is going to be you know, haunting the Revs for the next three years if he doesn't work out. Um, so you know, with that in mind, I'd take Hauche, uh, given the contracts. But um, Altidore obviously much better player even even at this stage where he's not really being effective um and you know as far as penalty kicks and searching for those i think Altador hasn't has kind of lost the benefit of the doubt because we have seen him go down pretty easily on you know some of these are you know more penalties than others but you know today i thought he went down pretty easily and you know when you're not playing well and when you're going down a lot um you're probably not going to get those calls so until he starts playing better and you know a couple times stays up and, and scores on those instead of going down. I don't think he's going to get those calls and it is kind of frustrating. Um, but yeah, I think, I think nothing's changed on Altidore um, from what we've seen in the past several weeks. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of reason to be frustrated and I get why people keep asking about him and, you know, he's probably the you know, fourth highest paid player on this team. We don't know exactly what the revs are paying him because Toronto's picking up a portion of a salary, but I, I, I would guess um, even with what Toronto's picking up, that he's the third or fourth highest paid player on the team. So it, it's not unfair to have some sort of expectations for him that are higher than what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and I think just, just going to that salary point, it's almost to the point where even if the Rev are play, Revs are paying 10% or 
25%. That's still very much overpaying. So I, I know the easy caveat can be, hey, you know, at least, you know, Toronto's paying for a portion of the salary. But at this point, no matter how much they're paying for, it seems like the Reds are still sort of overpaying. Yeah. Um, and then we got a couple of things about Petrovic or about that Cincinnati second goal, which you talked about a bit. Um, Ryan Duplicia says the starting lineup was good. We played a good game. I did see Petrovic miss a throw once again. That is the second game in a row, not discounting how he's been playing, how he's been playing whatsoever. He has been great. Um, and then Mike Kennedy says, who do you think is to blame for that second Cincy goal? Rivera, Petrovic, or about equal? Uh, when, it, when it comes to the blame, I, I would probably put it equal. Uh, uh, I do think that Damian Rivera does share some of the blame just based on the fact that he probably should have had a better touch. But I also think, too, if Petrovic was on the roster more, maybe he realizes in a match when you have the lead, maybe don't send the ball in the middle to a youngster like Damian Rivera. Uh, but overall, it, it was a pretty poor decision, I would I would say, from him. So if I had to say the blame, I, I would definitely keep it even. But overall, I think you know there is some good to Petrovic's distribution. Like you mentioned, able to have those long kicks, and I also think too, just overall, he seems to be you know pretty decent with his feet. I would say more, it's that decision making he really needs to improve on. Uh, but overall, you know, like was mentioned, he's still a very talented goalkeeper, and like I mentioned before, he's still very young, so there's plenty of time for him to fix those issues and really become a well-rounded goalkeeper. Yeah, I agree. I think it was about equal. Um, Rivera, if he one touch the pass back to Captoom, solves the problem right away. Um, but like you said, I think if Petrovic was more experienced, would have said, hey, you know, maybe I don't pass this to the guy that's got a couple guys coming at him um, and just boot it long and don't take the risk. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, both of them deserve some fault there. And you know, talking about the long kicks, it's just making me think. I know um, we've seen so many times over the years where MLS goalkeepers have gotten like joke tryouts with NFL teams or they've done a video with NFL teams. I would like to see how good Petrovic could do uh, kicking field goals at a Patriot practice for fun. <laughs> oh, I mean, the Patriots, you know, they can use anybody to get. I, shout out to Nick Folk. Nick Folk, very good. But <laughs> old guys, so they might they might need to give uh, our boy Georgia a tryout soon. <laughs> uh, and Always Away Days said, with performances Captoom has been putting in lately, are we now seeing him starting to earn that big salary of his? Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think he is showing some promise. And especially, you know, this match, you were missing Matt Polster, you're missing Tommy McNamara. I think he, you know, kind of came up big. You know, he looked pretty good on the ball. He's showing some physicality that I don't think we really saw in his third season. So it's been great to see him, you know, put in these good performances because obviously we expect him. When he came in, you expect him to, you know, be a starter. And now he's kind of in these spot starts. So hopefully he can become that starter because I think even, you know, a guy like Tommy McNamara did get an ascension. Ideally, if you're going to win an MLS Cup, Tommy Mac is probably coming off the bench serving as a super sub. And you have a guy like Cap Toom, maybe someone like Maciel, or, you know, someone else in the picture who can serve as that midfielder to go along with Polster. Uh, but I think it's promising that you're seeing Wilfred Captoon put in these performances. He's adjusting to the league the same way that Arnold Tristison is. I would say that Wilfred Captoon is probably ahead of Tristison at the moment, though. But overall, I've been impressed with his performances. He's showing some physicality and kind of adjusting to the MLS style of play. And if he's able to get a good streak going, he has a chance to, you know, give himself 
an opportunity to possibly lock down a starting spot as we get towards the end of the season. Yeah, I'm I'm with you in that. I think his performances have been mostly positive lately, um, trending in the right direction. But um, I'm also not ready to say he's starting to earn that salary of his yet. Uh, because I think he's still inconsistent. I thought he had a good game today, but I didn't think he had a good game last week. Um, I thought he had a pretty poor game. So we've seen kind of up and downs from him where he's looked good some games and not so good other games. And um, there hasn't been a run of consistent form yet from him. Uh, that would make me say that you know he's earned his big salary. And I, I still don't think he's done enough to, to say he is a starter when everyone's healthy. Um, when you know Giacomo Veroni comes in and the Revs switch formations to accommodate him, um, I don't think there's a place for captain in the lineup. So no, I wouldn't say he's earned his salary yet, but I would say that you know, I'm not as low on him as I used to be and that he's become kind of a serviceable player for the revolution that will get minutes, uh, but still not the salary of the fifth or sixth highest paid guy in the team. Um, he hasn't earned that yet. I think if you switched Captoom's salary with Matt Polster's salary, um, you know, Matt Polster making, I think, what, 300000 um, or 350000 yeah. and Captoom making, you know, 582000 um, then I could justify Matt Polster's salary at 582000 for his contributions, and I could feel, you know, better about Captoom at that salary. But, you know, with Captoom making five eighty two. And a guy like Poster that's contributed so much more, making three fifty three, um, I would not say he's earned that salary yet. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a long way to go for him to proving that he earns that salary. I don't know if you know this. Uh, uh, grew up in the La Masia Academy, which will be mentioned forever, just like Chris Hogan <laughs> played across. Uh, so yeah, especially with that high of a salary, you're expected to be a starter consistently. And getting these spots starts, I would say, is not enough, especially if you're performing consistently. Maybe he gets to that place by the end of the season, but there's still definitely some work for a captain to do. Yeah, the captain playing at La Masia is right up there with Jay Heaps playing basketball for Duke. And I'm sure uh, Giacomo Veroni playing for Juventus is going to be joining that list pretty soon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then Robert Chevalier on Twitter wants to know about Captain's partner today. Thoughts on Masiel's performance with Polster out. And then he asks if a CDM is incoming in this transfer window or whenever, um, which maybe makes me think he didn't think Masiel's performance was that great. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's kind of the vibe I would get to. I mean, I thought Masiel did okay. I wouldn't say there was anything that really stood out. He continued to show that... He's just extremely calm on the ball, which I think is valuable, especially in that midfield CDM role. Uh, but I think he had some good touches. He made some smart decisions uh, and also, too, you know, made some good plays. But, I mean, I wouldn't say he did anything that stood out uh, or even really made – I don't know if you want to say made an impact, but he, he just – he was on the field. He put in a decent performance, and that's really all, all I can say. Ideally, you don't want that of a starting player. I mean, again, he is someone who came up in Revs 2, still relatively young, so there is room to grow. But I wouldn't say he exactly excelled. Obviously, if he gets a run of form, maybe he feels more comfortable, or run of starts, he feels more comfortable. Uh, but still seems like uh, once uh, Matt Polster's healthy, and obviously Tommy Mack coming back from yellow card accumulation, seems like we're going to see plenty of those guys still. Uh, even with a possible uh, formation change. But they just seem like the two reliable guys that New England can trust, to, whether it be make the right plays or also just be able to make an impact and not just simply be on the field. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought Masiel did fine filling in, but I didn't think it was you know an amazing performance or a great performance. 
Um, and you know, Matt Polster, clearly the Rebs' number one defensive midfielder. Tommy McNamara has done a very good job when you know he's kind of played that role. Um, we just talked about Captain. I don't think Captain is a natural kind of defensive midfielder. I think he's more of a, mm-hmm. a two-way guy. Um, but with all that said, I, I think that is a position that I would like to see the Revs address. And you know, we, we talked before we started recording about the Revolution bench. Um, you know, you look today, there really was no guy. If, if you wanted to keep the formation the Revs were playing and, and add in another defensive midfielder, there was nobody on that bench today that could do it with Polster out and Tommy McNamara out. Um, and you know. I don't know. I think that that was something that hurt the Revs today. Um, you know, obviously, I don't, I don't think Bruce Arena thinks Noel Buck is ready. If he thought Noel Buck was ready, I think he would have seen him on the bench today because instead we saw four defenders on the bench. Um, you know, there would have been room to put him there, I think. I don't think he needed you know, Omar in John Bell or, you know, Ryan Spaulding in AJ De La Garza. Um, but I think that's you know, one of the areas that the Revolution could use in addition this summer. Would you agree? I've always been someone who's kind of uh, obviously losing a guy like Adam Buxa, that's a pretty immediate need. But I do think even though New England has Wilford Captoons or Arnold Tristesons and you know they have a pretty deep midfield, I feel like there's still some need for improvement. I when you have your back line once they're when they are healthy, and possibly you know as John Bell continues to progress, even having him, you're in a relatively good place. But it just seems like the midfield needs to improve. Maybe if you move on from someone like a Tristison or, you know, I, I would probably stay away from Captoon because I always think he's older than he actually is. So maybe he develops, but it just seems like that midfield is primed to get an addition. But that might also have to come at the cost of getting rid of someone. So it will be interesting to see. But I definitely would not mind incre- increasing the depth of, you know, whether be a CDM or just more of a central midfielder. But I think CDM specifically, Matt Polster could use some help. Yeah, I think when Matt Polster's out, there's the options for the revolution to fill that role are you know, pretty limited or guys that, you know, can't necessarily um, do it, play the same way he does and aren't necessarily pure number sixes or pure sixes and are maybe more comfortable as eights. So that's that's one spot that I think for a while could have been something that the revolution used helped in. I, I don't know if we're going to see one this window, but I do think that would make a lot of sense. Uh, David Sibillin on Twitter uh, says, I saw Carlos Heel working as a right mid for a good portion of tonight um, with Veroni coming in as the num- new number nine. How would you line up the lads assuming Bo is healthy? I mean, I also think I'll give a Bruce Arena answer that Carlos Heel's role on the field is kind of quite free flowing. So I don't know if he is, uh, David might be right, but I don't know if he was exactly uh, playing as a, a right mid. Uh, but it will be interesting to see just overall uh, if Veroni comes in, how New England utilizes him. Because I think you obviously could possibly utilize two strikers again. We saw that with Adam Buxa and Gustavo Bo. But also, too, it could open up the opportunity to see Bo more on the wing. Uh, so it will be interesting. I think the revolution might be better off going with one striker. Obviously, that means you know Bo goes to the wing. But Bo isn't exactly that traditional number nine. So maybe that helps him out. Uh, but it would be interesting to see how Carlos Hill gets affected just based on if he is acting as more as an attacking uh, central midfielder or if he kind of has to revert back to a central midfield role. Uh, but I think the biggest change, if there was to be one in terms of a formation, would probably be a guy like Gustavo Bogan back to the winger. We saw it sometimes when the Revolution only had Adam Boogs up top, so maybe you see it when a guy like Veroni comes in. Yeah, I, I think Carlos Hill needs to, you know, not necessarily 
always be in the center, but I think he needs to start in the center and have kind of that freedom that we have seen times, you know, past seasons where Bruce Arena has played Carlos Hill on the right. I just don't think he's as effective on the right. Um, you know, he's still a very good player, but he doesn't get the touches that he gets when he's in the center. And you know, when you have a number 10 of Carlos Hill's quality, when you have the league MVP, you want him getting as many touches as possible. He is the leader of the revolution offense and the guy that creates the most chances. So you know, I don't like the idea of, kind of locking him into a, a right mid spot um, for any significant portion of time. I think he needs to stay in the center. And I agree with you, Sam. I think the Revs are better off playing one striker. And I think, you know, trying Gustavo Bolt left mid. I, I, you know, at this point of his career and with his speed being what it is, I, I don't know how well that's going to work. But I do think that's still probably the Revs' best option. Because then you're allowing Barrero to play on the right and actually play as kind of a true winger um, instead of trying to force him to play kind of a different position that's maybe not necessarily his, his best skill set. Um, with all of that said, I, I kind of think we might see what we saw last year, essentially, which is that kind of funky diamond um, that sort of is like a diamond, but also had you know Buchanan, who was a winger and a diamond. It, you know, again, just quickly, a diamond usually has a six and kind of two eights um, and a ten in front of them. So there's you know really four central midfielders, not wingers. Um, and I, you know, the jet is more of a central midfielder and going into the season, I thought we were going to see more of a traditional diamond and Bruce tried that. Um, and it didn't really work, but I wouldn't surprise me if we saw him try that again, uh, where we saw, you know, Bo and Veroni up top, Carlos Hill right behind them, uh, Barrero kind of playing that funky role that Buchanan played last year. And then the jet kind of playing the McNamara role, um, and Matt Polster behind him. And then, you know, obviously we, we know what the defense is going to be if everyone's healthy and who the goalkeeper is. But that's kind of my guess that we might see Bruce Arena try that. But I, I'm not sure that's going to work because it didn't work at the start of the season um, when everyone was healthy then. Um, and I don't know that that's going to change. But I completely agree with you, Sam. I think I think they should probably stick with one striker um, when Veroni comes in. And I think they should, you know, give Barrero the opportunity to play as a winger. Um, and I think they need to keep Carlos Hill as number 10 in the middle. Um, and, you know, you try out Gustavo Bo on the left and hope it works, but I'm, I'm I'm not sure, you know, given where he is in his career, how well that would actually work. Yeah, and I think also too, if you kind of revert back to that like narrow diamond that you had when Tejan Buchanan was here, I would probably expect the same results with Dylan Barrero. You're not exactly able to use his speed or use his ability or in that width. You're not really able to use that with such a narrow diamond. So I I, I don't know if that would be the correct move. Uh, and like you said, I think probably going with that lone striker would be the best move. You, you kind of have to deal with the problem of having Bo in the wing, not exactly having great pace. But you are able to play a guy like Barrero in a more natural position. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it leaves Bruce with some interesting questions. So I'm I'm curious to see what he does. Um, lots of options. And it, it partly is, you know, who do you want to make sure is getting, you know, kind of playing in their best position, Barrero or Bo? Um, and, and kind of figuring it out that way. But, you know, it, just because of how poorly it kind of worked at the beginning of the season when they tried to sort of play that way, obviously, with different personnel, I just I, I don't know if we'll see it again or if we do see it again, it will work. So. I don't know. Interested, interesting question and curious to see what happens going forward. Um, James Downing points out that last year on July 3rd, the ball bonked off Farrell's head for a ridiculous Columbus crew goal. Today, Hagelin smashed a clearance into his own face to set up Herrera's goal. What is it about, about July 3rd and ridiculous defending? <laughs> I mean, everybody's just too focused on, excuse me, Independence Day. Uh, I guess their eyes are just on towards the holiday. 
that's my explanation. They're just too <laughs> pumped about Independence Day and uh, getting to have all the fun that comes uh, with Independence Day. So I guess I guess that's the point. They're just too focused on America. Maybe there was some like nearby firework that went off that distracted the defenders on those plays. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, if they were, they were quite far away, and the Revolution defenders have supersonic, <laughs> or or anyone. And uh, James also asked, with uh, Ethan Horvath and Zach Steffen moving to Luton and Boro respectively on loan to get minutes, how important is it that Turnout gets regular time at Arsenal to secure his national team number one spot? Uh, Sean, I just have to ask: Are we now an Arsenal podcast? Because that's going to be pretty rough for you. Oh, de- definitely not. I mean, Greg might try, but I'm not on board with that. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, when it does uh, come to our boy Turner, uh, first off, congrats. Uh, him and his wife uh, had their child. Uh, Easton, I believe, is uh, their name. So shout out to him. But uh, I think it will be interesting because, obviously, the whole talk about Turner when he was here at the Revolution is that he's getting minutes, and a guy like Stefan isn't exactly. So if they are getting minutes, uh, I think it could cause some problems. Obviously, I think Greg Berhalter would love in its use to be able to play Zach Steffen over Matt Turner. So I think it's really all about Turner. He took this move and he's betting on himself once again that he's going to be able to go over there and beat out Ramsdale for his position. And it wouldn't surprise me, Ramsdale, you know, I'm not going to call myself an EPL expert, but from, you know, what I've seen, he isn't exactly lighting it up. You know, he, he got off to a good start but he, uh, uh, in last season, but didn't exactly end the season the best way. Uh, so I think he uh, Turner has the ability to win that job. And if he's able to win that job, I think he easily wins the U.S. men's national team starting goalkeeper job for uh, Qatar. Uh, but it will be interesting to see just how well those uh, guys do, Stefan and Horvath, in those new teams. Obviously, it'll be kind of a drop-off for a guy like Stefan going from Man City uh, down to the championship. If he's able to perform well, that definitely uh, will probably make Greg Berhalter happy. But I think, once again, it's just Matt Turner betting on himself and betting that he's going to be able to show what he's able to do and beat Aaron Ramsdale out for a starting goalkeeper position in the Premier League. And if he's able to do that, he should be starting uh, in the World Cup. Yeah, I, I think that playing time is very important. I think it's, you know, I've noted before, and I think it's worth noting again that since the U.S., you know, since 1994, which is a you know weird weird time when the U.S. actually had players that were fully employed by the national team. Since then, um, there's never been a goalkeeper on the U.S. national team in the World Cup that's been starting at the World Cup that hasn't been starting for their club team. Um, and I think it's very important for the you know whoever the goalkeeper is for the national team to be playing regularly for their club team. I think we saw from Stefan this year um, how not playing affected him. I think he didn't look great for the national team at times, and I think it's because he was rusty. Um, and he didn't look great for Man City at times when he got his moments again because I think he was rusty. Um, for goalkeepers, I think it's I mean for any player, but for goalkeepers especially, I think it's very important that they're playing regularly. So um, you know if, if Matt Turner secures the number one spot at Arsenal, I don't think there's any any question that he's going to be starting for the national team in the world cup. Um, if he doesn't and Horvath and Stefan play well on their loan spells, um, then maybe he shouldn't. So yeah, it, it is very important that he plays. And, you know, you mentioned Aaron Ramsdale. Um, when the news first came out that Matt Turner was signing for Arsenal, I, I didn't think there was a chance in heck that Matt Turner would beat out Aaron Ramsdale. I mean, they paid 30 million for him. He was a, he's a goalkeeper that's, you know, with the English national team, not necessarily their starter, but, you know, getting some games for them. 
um, and started last season very, very well for Arsenal, but he finished the season not so great. Um, so I, you know, there is a window or an opportunity there for, for Matt Turner to maybe beat him out. Uh, but it's going to take a lot because I, I do think there is, you know, if you have a, if you're, if you're Arsenal and you have a, a goalkeeper that's on the English national team roster, um, and you have a, a relatively unknown by, you know, Premier League standards, Matt Turner, um, you know, you're going to have to do a lot to beat him out. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but, um, I, I agree with you know with you that minutes are important, but I do think that Turner does have a chance at beating out Ramsdale, and it's more of a chance than I thought he had uh, when this move was first announced. Yeah, and also too, just real quick because I tweeted something, and Man City fans were in my mention. Don't know why you guys are freaking about him, freaking out about an Arsenal goalkeeper, and he just got Erling Holland, so maybe take it down a notch. But uh, <laughs> I really hope. Uh, so I'm now hoping that um, Matt Turner just has an absolute amazing game and like shuts down uh, early on. Well, the the weird thing to me about this, I don't, I don't know if any of this, there's any truth to this, but I feel like there's been three or four goalkeepers um, that have been linked to Arsenal in the past few months, either as you know second or third choice keepers to p- perhaps play ahead of Matt Turner. And the worst case scenario for Matt Turner was that he goes there and becomes a third choice goalkeeper, in which case he needs to work on getting the loan. But I, I don't know if there's any truth to any of those, but I have seen a couple of different goalkeepers that have been linked to Arsenal since Matt Turner signed for them. So I would, I would hope that there's no truth to those rumors. Yeah. And I mean, no matter what, he's going to face Tottenham. It's probably going to be a rough day for him. So <laughs> Much appreciated, Sam. I got you. And uh, Mark on Twitter, back to the game, says, I sort of expected us to press higher and more intensely during the game. I feel like when we come in high, when we came in high, they often looked uncomfortable. Why do you think we sort of backed off from that press? Yeah, I, I would have to agree with Mark because, you know, especially watching the press box in that first half, uh, Salantano was uh, closest to us. And it really seemed like he wasn't that great on the ball. And if the Reds were able to get some pressure, you know, he was very easily making some mistakes. Uh, so it was quite interesting to see that. Maybe that's just a product of, you know, it being a game in July and not wanting to wear down players. But it seemed like if the Revolution stuck to it, they might be able to have a guy like Salantano make a mistake. Uh, there's plenty of times where he just absolutely booted balls out of bounds that probably had a 90-degree curve to them. Uh, so it seemed like if you got him under pressure, he wasn't exactly that comfortable. Maybe you're able to get another goal. Uh, but it was interesting to see New England Revolution back off because I thought that if you were able to commit to that press and, you know, causing some mistakes, whether it be in from the goalkeeper or just the back line in general, the opportunity seemed to be there. But the New England Revolution and Bruce Arena just decided uh, not to pursue that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with your mention of it being a hot July day. I, don't, I just don't think they have the wheels to do it um, on a night like tonight. And, you know, not to, again, hammer on Gustavo Bo, but... You know, 32-year-old Gustavo Boa, I don't think that he has the wheels to do that. But just the team in general on a hot night like tonight, it's, you know, I, I think it was working, and it would have been nice to see them do it more, but I'm not sure that they could have done that for 90 minutes um, in, in early July on a whatever it was, 83-degree degree day. Uh, Mac on Twitter asks, at what point do we start generally worrying about our playoff chances? And last I checked, the Revs are still in a playoff spot, even with the kind of slow start to the season, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean... MLS is so weird. We saw last year they won the Supporter Shield and then they kind of limped into the playoffs. I th- I think really all that matters is that the Revs are in the playoffs, which they are right now. You know, if they're able to get on a hot streak, 
you know, they can make a run for an MLS Cup, especially to have a healthy squad. You know, Petrovic is playing well. Barrera is playing well. As long as you're able to go on that run, it doesn't really matter if you're first or whatever. You just need to make it into the dance. So I wouldn't exactly be concerned right now. Also, too, transfer window still open. Revs can still make some moves to bolster the roster. Uh, so let's enjoy Independence Day and not exactly freak out about our July 3rd loss. And hopefully, you know, these draws are draws, excuse me, not loss. Hopefully these draws turn into wins and you start seeing some free points. But I definitely wouldn't be pounding the panic alarm just because we're on the, the outskirts of, of the playoffs. Even though, again, like you mentioned, we are in the playoffs at the moment. And we got a couple questions in as we were talking, one of which actually hits on a point that you and I were talking about. So it kind of agrees with us. So I'm going to read this one for sure. Uh, <laughs> Eric on Twitter says, Bo's spending a lot of time trying to get on balls over the top, but we know he's not fast enough, hence being offside so often. And even if he does bring it down, he's just not going to beat two guys to get a shot off. Knock against him, not many can. Not a knock against him, not many can. Uh, I think we both kind of agree with that and talked about that earlier. Uh, but he has a question to this. So are you, are they just experimenting till a new signing arrives or till the new signing arrives? Or is it counterattacking like this going to be their identity until the new guy arrives? I would say, honestly, with the acquisition of Barrero, you really saw the New England Revolution you know, utilizing the counterattack. And I think you have a guy like Barrero who has that speed. But it obviously is difficult for Bo. And I even thought at times, you know, Carlos Hill was kind of, uh, I don't know if I'm saying stifling the attack, but there were some times when uh, he was slowing things down. So I think when you have a guy like Barrero, you have Delon Jones. Even a guy like Brandon Bay can be pretty quick. But when you have your DPs who aren't exactly the fastest players, it is an interesting decision. But for me, it, it seems like this counterattack is here to stay unless they're going to completely rebuild this roster with this uh, signing from Juventus. But I don't exactly think that's going to happen. So I, I would expect the revolution to continue to try and utilize the counterattack and utilize the speed that they do have in guys like Barrero, Dewan Jones, and Brandon Bach. Uh, we got more. Another Josie comment has come in uh, since he started oh boy. recording. Ronnie Small says, are we still pretending like Josie adds any value to the team? The dude deflates the air out of the game when he comes on. I mean, just sometimes you feel like a plastic black bag going through the wind. I mean, it's just it's just rough for him. And, you know, again, we all hope that uh, he's going to be the player that we all thought he could be or maybe at least Bruce thought he could be. Uh, but with this new signing, it just really seems like uh, his days at possibly being the boost replacement are clearly over, and he's now kind of relegated to that super sub or that bench role. Well, you, you read Alex Dolan's uh, Katy Perry lyrics for me, so now I don't have to read it. Uh, we, we can skip to <laughs> the, the last couple of questions, which is we've talked a bit about, but now I really want to get into before we finish. Well, actually, no, we'll take that back. Um, another question came in before we get to Veroni. One last one, and then we'll get to the Rev signing. Uh, the nobody from Rhode Island asks, are the Revs cursed when it comes to refs coming to Gillette? Seems like every home game has been a mistake or a bad call by the refs around. I don't know what was the bad call in this game other than a couple of questionable yellow cards and plays that should have been yellow cards. Did I, did I miss something? I mean, I honestly have no idea. If we're blaming the refs for the fact that the refs gave up that second goal or whatever you want to call it, I mean, if all the Knights who complain about the refs would not call this one of those nights. So uh, I I would love if uh, nobody from uh, Rhode Island can point out uh, what was so bad 
I would love to see what that was. I mean, the the Rev's official Twitter account was trying very hard to make it seem like that with Josie non-call was uh, outrageous, I mean, but I don't think I mean, that was I, a penalty. I, I can't blame him, <laughs> uh, but uh, especially there's been some calls with Josie where it just seems like maybe he could have done a better job of whether it be going for the ball or just standing up, but it seems like when he feels that contact, he isn't afraid to go down the box and look for a call. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and now on to the most exciting news of the week. Uh, Dewan Season thoughts, wants to know our thoughts on the signing of Veroni. And Dr. Sean Ducharmi wants to know, how do you think Veroni does and uh, how do you think Veroni does and think he will be and think the Rebs will be making more moves for some striking help soon? Um, and just for those that have you know, been buried in the, their head in the, in the sand for the past week, Fabrizio Romano reported that the Rebs are signing Giacomo Veroni. Um, from Juventus for $3.8 million. Uh, Tom Bogart confirmed this, uh, and we should mention Veroni had 17 goals and four assists while playing on loan in the Austrian Bundesliga last year. And I believe before that, he was out for a bit of time with a broken leg. Um, But obviously a very good season in the Bundesliga, second top scorer. Uh, The top scorer was, of course, 20-year-old who was sold to Borussia Dortmund. Um, So, you know, good players get signed from that league. Uh, what do you think about this move, Sam? How how excited are, do you think Rebs fans should be for this? And you know, is, is this the Buxa replacement? I mean, yeah. For at least right now, it seems like he is. I believe he's like at least six foot. You know, a pretty pretty tall guy. So that would be able to, you know, help out maybe add to that aerial threat that they are looking to have and replace uh, after losing a guy like Buxa. Uh, but overall, I mean, he did well in the Aust- Austrian uh, league, so that's good. You know, it's a quality league. But there definitely better better is, than uh, Poland. Yeah, I mean, Adam Buxa would probably disagree, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so I think there's reasons to be excited. I think he obviously is expected to make an impact, kind of, you know, expect him to be that starter and possibly be that lone striker up top. So I would say definitely be excited. Won't claim to be the biggest expert on whether it be up, on Austrian football. Uh, so definitely would recommend, you know, just seeing what he's capable of doing. Uh, but, you know, obviously the name, uh, the club Juventus stands out. And I bet a lot of Revolution fans are going to be able to cling to that. And you just hope that he has that talent. Again, another young player, I believe he's 22, 23. Uh, so it's good to see the Revs investing in youth and kind of building up players, possibly being able to sell them and reinvest that back into the club. Uh, but overall, I would say, yeah, Revolution fans should be excited. Will he be able to put up the numbers that Boots did? That remains to be seen. But for right now, he definitely seems like the the candidate to replace uh, Adam Buxa, which won't exactly be an easy job, especially for such a young player. Yeah, I think it's a very exciting move by the Revolution to bring this guy in. You know, if you had if you had told me the Revs were signing this guy a year ago before this stint in the Bundesliga, I would have said it was underwhelming because his numbers um, in Italy are not very impressive. Whether it's you know, his time in the third division or the second division, there um, didn't score a ton of goals. But um, you know, coming off the injury that he had and going to the Bundesliga, the Austrian Bundesliga on loan, which is, you know is a better league than MLS, and scoring 17 goals and four assists. Uh, finishing second in their golden boot race is, is very impressive. Um, and, you know, I don't know how tall he is because he's listed at various sites at 5'11 all the way to 6'3. Um, I think he's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, but, you know, it's a it seems like he's a guy that can win the ball in the air. Um, you know, scouting reports sound very similar to what Buxa brought to the team. Um, so I'm very curious to see what he can do for the Revs. The one thing I will caution is, 
you know, we talked about Petrovic and, and Barrero and, you know, growing into the team and, you know, they hit the ground running with the Revs for the most part, but that doesn't always happen with international signings. And, um, you know, if you're looking for this guy to come in and immediately have a huge impact, you know, maybe that'll happen. But I think more often than not in MLS, when you bring in an international signing, it takes a little bit of time to adjust. So, um, you know, do you think people should temper their expectations a bit for this season? And, and maybe it's more about next season, what he brings, or do you think he's going to hit the ground running? No, I think in general, when it comes to these international signings, that the expectation should be, you know, it would be great if they're able to hit the ground running. Obviously, someone like Barrero has been able to do, you know, quite a good job at doing that. Same goes for Petrovic. But you've seen it with, you know, a guy like Arnie Tristison who had Champions League experience. Same goes for a guy like Walter Captoum. I will again mention that he came up for the Lamazia Academy. So, you know, it, it depends on the player and even these players who have played <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I, he's with RC Lens. I'm a PSG fan. I just focus on the top of the table, not the bottom. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so you, you have these players who come over. Some of them struggle, and they're coming from, you know, talented uh, spots. And some of them maybe from lesser-known spots and are able to players. So I think, really, the expectation should be, hey, it's probably going to take this guy a while to get used to it. Maybe next season is when he really comes into his own. But if he's able to hit the ground running that's a great thing but that shouldn't exactly be the expectation and he he also asked um or one of the one of them also asked do you think there's going to be more striking help soon i don't know if that means in addition to veroni but there was a a a rumor out there about uh carol angeliski the polish striker um that the revs are interested in him i i don't think that i think this is the revs move for striker i don't think there's going to be any other strikers coming in in this summer window do you i, I can't imagine that they'd get another international striker on, on top of this and make you know josie Altador their fourth or fifth choice striker <laughs> yeah it would be quite interesting to see if they did make another move i know lafc is kind of going through a little bit of a fire sale probably i think partly induced to the fact that they went out and got uh gareth bale but I think Latif Blessing has kind of made it known that he doesn't exactly want to be there anymore. Uh, he's always someone who I've enjoyed watching, wouldn't mind him uh, possibly coming to the revolution. So if they were able to make a deal, I think that would be great. Um, but I don't exactly know if you're going to get a striker, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, Carol, don't know if you're exactly going to go out and get a guy like that. So, you know, maybe you are able to make a move. Maybe it's more of inter MLS moves compared to internationals or from other leagues. Uh, but I wouldn't exactly expect, you know, someone like that traditional striker that you think of when a guy like Adam Buxa. To to me, the only way that happens is if, you know, there's some shock and, you know, Gustavo Bo decides he wants to go home and and play there and leaves midseason. I don't, I don't think we're going to see another international striker brought in um, beyond Veroni this, this summer. That'd be very shocking to me. Um, But I do think the revolution, on paper now are in much better shape when the signing comes in than they than they were you know a week ago so it's it's very exciting news for the revs um and a lot to look forward to to see how bruce arena puts it all together uh because we we still don't know what this team's best formation is as we talked about earlier um sam any any final thoughts before i wrap this up um i just have to say bruce arena is probably loving the amount of formation talk that we've had in this podcast <laughs> Bruce Arena didn't seem to be loving much in the uh, post-game press conference. It was actually kind of funny. Um, they were talking about it. 
uh, on the post game show, and Charlie Davies said, you know, when Bruce is in this mood, you should just not even ask him a question because it's not worth it. He's not going to give you anything or just throw him a softball. Um, yeah, uh, did seem in that I mean, mood. a cons- concerted effort to ask about Brandon By and Henry Kessler after uh, listening to some of his responses. Yeah, his uh, he was pretty short um, and <laughs> confrontational at times. It seemed like. Uh, and hey, Bruce is going to Bruce. That that is who he is. That's who he's always been. So I wouldn't expect it to change now that he's seventy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, pe- people don't uh, change from that at that age. Uh, but <laughs> Sam, <laughs> Sam where, where can people follow you, and uh, where can people follow the Bet Musket on social media and elsewhere? Yeah, so definitely uh, make sure to check out me out on Twitter at Sam underscore Minton twenty two. I love uh, talking Reds with anybody or whatever you want to talk about. I'm an open book. You know, if you want to talk to Disney, I'll talk to Disney. Talk, definitely, we'll talk to Marvel with you. Uh, but also, to make sure to check out the Bent Musket at the Bent Musket on Twitter, and also feel free to read all the great content uh, on the website uh, www.thebentmusket.com. Uh, I'll do a nice little tease. I hope Seth McCumber doesn't mind me doing it. We actually got to speak to Pat Noonan uh, in the hallways of Gillette Stadium. I think Seth will have something out on that. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, but once again, Sean, it's been an absolute blast again to talk with you. And I'm glad Dolan will be very happy. I was kind to the Spurs on this podcast. <laughs> well, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean Aldonahue. And of course, you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Revolution Recap. Please rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, as Sam mentioned, be sure to check out our friends at the Bet Musket. Great site. I, for one, am looking forward to, to reading what Seth has on Pat Noonan. Um, thanks again for listening. We're hoping to be back again next weekend with another podcast. And Sam, I think we took enough time for there to be no traffic left for you to get home. I hope so. I hope so. Well, with that, we'll see you next week. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.